Hey everybody, this is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. 1943 edition. It's war in Hollywood and abroad. That's it. That's my intro. <laughs> it's war. Welcome, everybody, to Gilded Films Podcast. Which picture was best? As we said in our little hello there, it is 1943. It is the height of World War II. The movies are patriotic. The movies are war. And we are very conflicted over them because they are some of the most non-memorable best pictures in a long time. The winner, however, being one of the most memorable so we'll talk about that here in a second. But as always, hello to Brett. Hello, hello. And hello to the one and only, the Zay. The Zay. <laughs> <laughs> hello, everyone. How's everybody doing? I'm here. You know, We're alive. You know, this is, this is the first time in our episode that we are broadcasting from three different time zones. Normally, it is just Brett and I in the central time zone and then Zay over in the eastern time zone. But Brett has um, left us for the mountains. So we're doing the best we can here. It was very fun figuring Wait, out the time. I thought he moved to Burbank. <laughs> Burbank? Yeah. <laughs> is this I a wish. Piece? I mean, if it was here, that'd be nice. <laughs> Speaking of, no, no, I was going to say, we got to try to find somebody who lives in Pacific time. That I know. Way. Like, you know what, all four time zones in the U.S. covered, and, you know, that'd be kind of cool, but. Just add Alaska and Hawaii. There you go. That, you know what, (laughs) finding a time might be a little difficult, but, you know, we did it with three time zones, which I think is still kind of impressive, but we are here. So. Um, I do want to say before we start that uh, Zay, uh, of course, welcome back. Thank I'm you. pretty sure that you picked this year that you actually wanted to do. Normally, we sort of before she went to do things. I listen. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. If I knew what I know now, I would have picked something else completely. Yeah, you know, Zay. I was kind of thinking that, like, <laughs> we've we've just got to like have you pick a year that you think is just like unbelievably great at some point because. <laughs> You've been on a 1956, horrible Best Picture lineup. You've been on a 1943. We'll get to that. There's a lot of bad here. So, I mean, you've definitely earned. <laughs> and I, I fucking did the one where fucking Meryl Streep colonizing Africa. That one won. That's true. Yep. <sighs> Holy shit. <laughs> and you've done Gone with the Wind. At least that that at least the other pictures were actually decent that year. That's true. You got Wizard of Oz, so. But you know what? Um, Boy, howdy. I, I we are the listeners are so excited for this episode now. We have. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's good because I was gonna say this is gonna be a longer episode. We have got ten best picture nominees to get through, but you know, tune in because it's going to be fun because we've got some that we're like, okay, we've got one that I think we all agree is 
if not a masterpiece, very close. And then we've got more than a few that are uh, pretty terrible. Or horse shit. Yeah, you know, which which it, it sometimes sucks to watch those, but sometimes it also leads to some great conversations. So. I think if I had to average out all these, these have to be the lowest average, like, of how I rated them out of, like, all the episodes I've done with y'all. Probably. Probably. But yes, we are talking about the year 1943 and the Oscars that celebrated that year. Um, those took place on March 2nd, 1944, and the winners were as follows. Best Picture went to Casablanca, which we will talk about at the end of this episode, obviously. Best Director went to Michael Curtiz for directing Casablanca. Best Actress went to Jennifer Jones for The Song of Bernadette. Best Actor to Paul Lucas for Watch on the Rhine. Supporting Actress to Katina Paxnu for For Whom the Bell Tolls. And Best Supporting Actor for Charles Coburn for The More the Merrier. Uh, I also think this is the first year probably in a while where all of these winners were Best Picture nominees that we've talked about since, I mean, there were 10 of them. You kind of expect it, but so we get to talk about all these. So uh, despite winning Best Picture, Casablanca was not the big winner of the most awards that night. That went to the Song of Bernadette with four and Bernadette also led with 12 nominations. This was hosted by Jack Benny this year and it aired on CBS radio with the entire ceremony lasting less than 30 minutes. You can ask Christian. He actually watched it today. It is on YouTube. Or I guess listen to it, I guess I should yeah. say. So, um, but yeah, very short ceremony, especially compared to the four-hour stuff we got going these days. Uh, this is also the first year the supporting winners, uh, supporting acting winners, received a full-sized Oscar statuette instead of a plaque that they would normally get before. Um, and a cool little childhood piece. This is the first year that the Tom and Jerry series was awarded a short film Oscar. It would go on to win six more. So I think nearly everybody grows up watching at least a little Tom and Jerry. And Christian, I think you put this, if you're looking for war, here's World War II. Uh, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I mean, these films are very heavily centered on World War II, which was obviously, you know, the world was in the middle of it at that time. And so it was reflected in a lot of films, including the nominees. They Is also that what these were about? <laughs> huh. they I, see, I thought they were trying to say something, but I just couldn't pick up on what. They also mentioned during the ceremony, like a lot of the stars and stuff were lieutenant or commander because a lot of Hollywood stars went over to war. So. I, you know, I saw the some of the videos that you sent of like the winners and like receiving their, their statuettes, were those all like service people in the background? I'm pretty like sure. Yeah. So, but yeah, definitely kind of encapsulated that year. Aside from the Oscars, this is actually the first year that the Golden Globes were held. Um, and I didn't see, I don't think they had like nominees. They just had winners and the song of Bernadette was the big winner there. So it's literally swept. Yeah. So, all right. Anything else that you all noticed or want to mention about these Oscars before we jump right in with these nominees? I'm just waiting to laugh at something. <laughs> oh boy, am I? Listen, I've got roast prepared. Because <laughs> that's the only way I'm going to be able to talk about some of these. I feel that. We're probably going to jump right in with one of those movies that's probably going to get roasted pretty heavily. 
And that is our first nominee, For Whom the Bell Tolls, of course, based on the novel by Ernest Hemingway. So For Whom the Bell Tolls follows Robert Jordan, who is played by Gary Cooper. Um, he's an American who is in Spain during the Spanish Civil War. And he's fighting against Francisco Franco's forces there um, as part of the anti-fascist group. Um, yeah, basically he, he gets this mission to destroy a, an important bridge that, you know, the fascists are going to use to travel and get all their cargo and whatnot. Um, and he actually meets up with a group of Spanish folks who are fighting in the war and they kind of have this troop put together and there's a lot of drama there. There's one guy who really wants to be the leader and he keeps screwing everything up. There is, um, Katina Pack's new character, Pilar, who kind of takes over the group from her husband. And then, of course, in the middle of it, you've got a romance between Gary Cooper and Ingrid Bergman. You know what? I think that this film, for me, this film started out really good. Like, the first scene and the score were, like, really beautiful. And then, like, 10 minutes in, it gets very dull. And it stays very dull for the entire two hours and 50-minute runtime. Um, I've never read the book and this doesn't make me want to read the book if I'm being honest. Um, and it's just not, it's not very exciting. I mean, there's some good performances here, but it is kind of brought down by the fact that there is some brown face here and there is, you know, Ingrid Bergman playing a Spanish woman and we've got some of that going on. Katina Paxnew is great, but that is most prominent with her character and so that kind of brings it down. And so it doesn't help. A film that is at times beautiful, at times does feature some good cinematography and a good musical score, but that just can't make up for the fact that this is just not a very interesting movie. And in all that runtime, I can't recall much going on aside from them hanging out in this cave and jumping out to fight every hour or whatever. So thoughts from you two. <laughs> God, this fucking movie. It took me, I think it took me four days to finish it. Because Christian kept texting me, like, did you finish it yet? <laughs> Which, like, different things were happening. So I was, like, too busy to finish the movie. But it wasn't exactly at the top of my priorities either. It, I disagree with the sentiments. I think the movie looks very fake. It looks like a very fake fucking looking movie. The whole time I'm, like, looking at it, I'm like, I just... It's clearly, oh, they're on a soundstage. And it's clear that, like, I don't know. I just didn't give it a scent of, like, yeah, these are not just people in costumes just sitting around doing what the fuck ever. Um, I do like the score. Um, I was, and, you know, there's a little tidbit that it's, like, the first full movie score from America to be put on record. And I'm like, okay, I can see it. Not my first choice, but not a terrible choice. Um, yeah, this was the first time I saw Ingrid Bergman in a film, and I was like, she is not keeping my interest. Um, yeah, but I did think she had this very queer, like, if this was a better movie, I could see the gays liking her and a little, little haircut there, really short, <laughs> very, very lesbian. But, uh, yeah, the rest of it can go suck a dick, because I hated this movie. <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, 
I really don't have much to say because I don't remember this movie at all. There's a couple, I think there's another one coming up that I don't remember much of this, except for Katina Paxnow is really good as Pilar. I will say she has some great scenes. Most of this, as I complained to both of you, takes place in the damn cave. So there is not a whole lot going on for me to actually care about. It's a crime that Ingrid got nominated for this instead of Casablanca. Yes. But she, wa she wanted to be in this more than anything in the world. Like the choices there, Ingrid, the choices. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. The whole blowing up the bridge, the bridge on the river quiet did that much better. Again, this is based on a book, so I guess that came first, but whatever. Well, not really. Yeah, same years. Something like that. Anyway, um, oh, her, oh, Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, I mean, that, that was what you've both mentioned for Ingrid Bergman was probably the most disappointing thing for me just because I, I didn't think she was very good in this movie. Definitely wasn't a role that suited her, obviously. And obviously Ingrid Bergman's great. Like I love her in everything. I even liked her in uh, Anastasia when I hated the rest of that movie. Oh, she's great, you know, and, but like, this is a case where like, she does not help the movie at all. I uh, mean, they also give her such a terrible like role. This is I, I, the way, this was the one scene that I was like, there's nothing coming back for this movie. It's when, oh, I also don't like Gary Cooper. Me and Christian talked about this. Gary Cooper is fucking boring. I don't like Gary Cooper. I don't understand how he was in like so many like big movies. Yeah, um, he was popular too. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, but it was the scene where they kiss and she was like, oh, I don't know how to kiss. And then they kiss and she was like, I thought our noses were gonna get in the way. And I'm like, what kind of dialogue is this? That's <laughs> true. First of all, <laughs> that's what you think. Uh, oh, uh, that's how you write a bad female character 101. Yes. Secondly, what the fuck? That's not romantic, that's just weird. <laughs> No, not all. This this movie in general is not romantic whatsoever. And I feel like this romance, if we're not supposed to care about anything else, we're supposed to care about this romance, and I felt nothing from it. Maybe because Gary Cooper's so damn stone-faced through half of this whole damn thing. That's true. Yeah, and I mean, he got a nomination for this too, and I'm like, Ooh, for what? Um, he came, he got his paycheck. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of forget forgettable stuff here. Um, I guess, you know, it, it did have one Oscar win, supporting actress for Katina Paxnew. At least if it was going to win something, it that was probably the best choice. I'm fine. With that. I'm fine with that win. I, um, I would, I would rather have other people win, but if I had to, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. It did have eight additional nominations, so well-liked cool. film. Uh, picture, obviously, actor for Gary Cooper. Actress for Ingrid Bergman, supporting actor for Akeem Tamirov, who I did saw won the Golden Globe for this. Um, cinematography, art direction, film editing, and score. And those are all in the color film categories, obviously. And so, did we mention this movie's three hours long, basically? <laughs> no. <laughs> Holy shit. If we did, say it again. I mean, <laughs> uh, it was directed by Sam Wood. It was a popular movie, number two in the box office for 1943. I never, I don't want to speak to a single person from that year. Like, 
y'all could have gone and seen anything and this is what you want to see Boring. yeah which is surprising because not only is it three hours but it's also not about world war ii which i feel like many people were kind of probably clamoring to i don't know maybe not i also feel that it's like this is a po- it's a popular book obviously so people were racing out to see like That's hey true. look there's probably an adaptation for this that's true. If only they said the same thing about the goldfinch. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, shoot. This <laughs> <laughs> is actually, actually Ingrid Bergman's first Technicolor movie. So once again, choices. Um, like Zay said, the score is the first from an American film to be released on record. This film was actually re-released later on, and it was only 134 minutes long. <sighs> That's the cut I should have seen. Right. They eventually restored it to its full length, obviously. How dare what, they? What would we have missed? What would we have missed? More of the, the cave. cave. More of the cave, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess a good thing for this movie that we should thank it for, Christian, you put this, so you might need to expand a little bit, but this reportedly saved as time goes by from being edited out of Casablanca as Bergman had already had her hair cut for the making of this film. So I'm guessing they were intending to reshoot that scene with something else. I think that they were intending to like add a scene in there instead of having like a whole song sequence. Gotcha. But she had already cut her hair and they were like, oh, the budgetary issues because it's, you know, World War II and we can't afford stuff. So we can thank it for that. Yeah. Uh, Hemingway did insist that Cooper and Bergman star in the film. So I haven't seen, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. I'm thinking of a Golden Girls quote. <laughs> it's pretty much, I know why Hemingway killed himself. <laughs> oh my God. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that... delete the whole discussion. Just leave it in Christian's quote there. That's all we have to say. <laughs> now, I want to ask the serious question. Do we ever find out whom that bell tolls for? It had a toll on me. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. All right. Anything else on For Whom the Bell Tolls before we move on? Should be erased from history. Would agree. Okay. Who's got our next one here? Zay, you got it. Take it away. Heaven can wait. All right. It is a 1943 film directed by Ernst Lubitsch. And you think it's funny? Fuck no, it's not funny. Um, It's about this guy who he thinks he's going to hell. Um, But then the the devil's like, hmm, don't know if you're qualified, bud. So they look through his entire life and he is constantly cheating on his goddamn wife. And it's just several years throughout his, it's like, it's just a, a retelling of his entire life of why he's a terrible person. But somehow the devil's like, "Hmm, don't think you're bad enough, though. You can go to heaven. And that's it. That's the movie. That's literally the movie. (laughs) Like, that. I know that that sounds like such a short synopsis, but that Zay said it right. No, it's... All right, y'all give your thoughts. Okay, so I thought that this was going to be like the Warren Beatty movie of the same name, and it turns out it's not, so throw me for a loop there. Um, (laughs) I was not 
pleased by this one either because with Ernst Lubitsch, the year before he made one of my favorite films of all time, To Be or Not To Be, and that is one of the funniest films ever. And thinking that this is gonna be a comedy too, it is not a comedy as they said, very disappointed. Um, yeah, I think the best character in this is Marjorie Maine as his mother-in-law because she always steals the damn show. She stole the show in uh, what was Friendly Persuasion along with that goose. Please listen to our episode about 1956. That but yeah, um, a very pretty sets though, I guess. Great gowns, beautiful gowns. Because it beautiful isn't gowns. Color. Yeah, it isn't. It's a color movie, so it has that going for it. But other than that, again, another film that I cannot really recall a whole lot about. And like Zay told me as I started watching it, the setup is really kind of interesting. Like a guy wants to get into hell, not heaven, and then from there it's like snooze alert. Yeah, I thought this was okay. I think I liked it a little more, but I don't know. I think as I think on it, it's been about a week since I've seen it. It's definitely gone down a little bit in my perception of it. I will say, you know, it's not a comedy, but the first like 20 minutes I found really funny. Like I thought the intro with the devil was awesome. I was into it. And I thought, you know, the scenes with like, him getting drunk and like the the goofy family were kind of funny at the beginning. After that, you're right. It, it just, it abandons the comedy completely. And so that shift just doesn't work very well. Um, you know, Don Amici as the lead character is not particularly memorable. Um, I asked, actually really liked Charles Coburn here. He, he won an Oscar for another movie that we're going to talk about that year, but I really liked him here as well. Um, I found his character enjoyable and he put on a good performance, but I know, I think what kind of tied it together for me was that despite all the, the melodrama that was happening and having to follow this character that isn't really interesting, I was just waiting to see what happened between him and the devil in the end. And unfortunately that ending wasn't very satisfying because like they said, for some reason he gets to go to heaven and it just doesn't tie it together very well. But I, don't, I thought it was okay. It definitely wasn't one of the worst from this year, largely because, I mean, it's, it's long, but it's not super long. It's palatable. I mean, I agree the sets look really nice and the costumes, but not necessarily a memorable movie either. I see the opening had me so fucking excited because I was like, oh, the pacing is good. The dialogue, real snappy, loved it. Some weird ass, like, like when that old woman comes and like, like he knew her or whatever. And they were just like, she had this, I forget what she said, but I thought that was funny. I was like, oh, is a whole movie going to be like this? I'm here for it. And then it just, I wouldn't even call it melodrama. It's just boring drama. Not exciting enough. It's just, mm -mm. And then it's like halfway into the movie and Marjorie, like we talk about Marjorie Maine, her having the argument with her husband at the dinner table. And she's like telling the, the butler, you tell my husband, blah, 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 blah. And then he's like, you tell her. And I was like, oh, this is funny again. And I'm like, these two scenes go together, but they don't go with the rest of the movie. And I didn't understand what was going on. The rest of it is just about a man who can't keep his dick in his pants. <laughs> And a poor yeah. fucking wife who just has to deal with it. If I was the per if it should have been, you know what would have been better? 
she shows up at the end of the movie and she gets to decide if he's going to heaven or hell. Ooh, I like that. That would have been nice. Interesting. There's a remake idea for you. Yep, there you go. Awesome. Zay, do you want to run over the uh, fun facts for this one real quick? Sure can. Has three Oscar nominations. I had one for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Cinematography. Should have got it for the gowns, for the beautiful gowns. Based on the play Birthday by Leslie Busk. Fiquette? No idea. Yeah, no idea. I'm sorry, Leslie. <laughs> um, as Christian said, the 1978 film of the same name is not based on this, but rather Here Comes Mr. Jordan from 1941, which was based on a play called Heaven Can Wait. I literally, imagine my confusion in all of this. <laughs> I thought the same thing you did. So, See, I didn't even think about that movie, and I saw it for the first time like maybe two months ago. <laughs> so, But that's a much better Heaven Can Wait, by the way. Um, Donna Meche said this was his favorite film to work on. Wow, fuck Cocoon's Drag. I, I was literally <laughs> fuck Cocoon's Drag. Gene uh, Tierney recalled that Lubitsch was a tyrant on set. Interesting. I'm not very familiar with Lubitsch and his, I don't know, his attitudes and behaviors, but not surprised. It's funny. I was looking at the writer of this and the year or two before he co-wrote uh, the shop around the corner which it's is great a, yeah one that everybody loves and then suspicion which is like a decent hitchcock film uh, and then you get to this and again it's like eh, eh. fair meh. meh i'm just so disappointed though because like i said ernst lubitsch he made to be or not to be the year before and that's like my favorite film from 42 i'm pretty sure and Ninochka, which we talked about in the 1939 podcast true great movie like you have some really good comedies and then you get this and it's like i'm gonna surprise you because it looks like a comedy it feels like one but is it it's like he left the room (laughs) (laughs) he left the room let them do their thing he came back i'm like oh hey hey hey." and then he left again like this sucks heads out (laughs) but yeah that's heaven can wait anything else on that before we move on to another one you can sure wait to see that movie. <laughs> it's on Criterion too. Oh, There's... I didn't know that. That's how I saw yeah, it. Yeah, that was recent. Oh, interesting. Interesting choice. All right, Christian, do you want to take us away with our next one? I get... Oh my gosh. Okay. The title of our next film is the most leading, misleading title of all time. It is the human comedy starring Mickey Rooney. There is no blackface in this film. I just want to point that out because as we know from talking about Mickey Rooney films on this podcast, the boy loved his blackface. Okay, so this film is about Homer Macaulay, Culkin, (laughs) and he's like a telegram delivery boy in World War II, small town, and it's pretty much following his life on the home front along with his mother and his brother and his boss, who's um, Frank Morgan, who's the wizard from the Wizard of Oz. So we've seen him before. Um, and that's pretty much it. There's like a romance subplot to it, but it is mostly one of those films that is, hey, World War II in America affected a lot of people's lives in different ways. I thought this was a comedy because again, I am dumb like that in thinking that a t- 
title means the what it's gonna actually show in the movie. It's a pure up melodrama. Wikipedia, I'm looking here, describes it as a comedy. I laughed no times. There's one weird scene where they're in a park and it is an interpretation of Disney's It's a Small World Ride where we see many different ethnic cultures and white people commenting on them. It is very uncomfortable. I screamed watching it. I have no real opinion about this because it is just a dull film. If you want to watch World War II on the home front, best years of our lives um, since she went away and the one that we have also coming up that we'll talk about. So I'm, what say y'all? I, I, you can't say the one weird scene as if there's not another very weird <laughs> scene that really freaked me out. And it's when the two men are plucking the chicken feathers and they're doing she loves me, she loves me not with the fucking chicken feathers. <laughs> That's some David uh. Lynch shit. Um, but yeah, I don't have any opinions on this film either because this was the second movie I saw prior uh, to get started with this. And um, I, as we know, I don't like Mickey Rooney, even though I've seen plenty of his films this year. I don't know why. Um, it just felt like a vehicle for him, for him to be like, this is my serious picture, folks. <laughs> um, and didn't get the Oscar, thank God. Um, he, did he didn't get a, he never got a competitive Oscar, did he? No. I didn't think so. I, I knew eventually he would get the honorary one. Um, yeah, this movie just sucks. It's weird. Definitely not funny. Oddly enough, oddly enough, his body is very ripped in this, I will say. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. Little three foot tall man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I let, I will say I, I don't like Mickey Rooney either. I I have not seen as much of Mickey Rooney as the two of you, but he just annoys me in everything he's in. I will say this is probably the best I've seen him, at least my favorite. But it's also not something I would de definitely wouldn't consider nominating him for. I mean, it's it's that he's like palatable, like I can take him in this. Um, yeah, not funny at all. I don't know what they're going for with the title there. Like, I don't. I'm trying to like pick out like what kind of I don't know parallels they're trying to make. I I can't come up with anything. Uh, we keep talking about weird scenes. You've obviously got the the uh, it's a small world scene, the chicken plucking scene. I also thought the scene with his teacher was really weird and I just like didn't really understand what was going on there. Like he's with his teacher and she has him in his detention and then the other, you know, rich kid gets to go. So I get that. They're like kind of teamed up there, but then it just kind of goes in a weird direction and their acting is like really terrible in that scene. I don't know. It just stuck out to me. Um, this is supposed to be a, a movie about the home front during World War II. And if it weren't for the telegram office and the soldiers on leave and preparing to deploy showing up every now and then, you wouldn't really know it, I don't think. And so, I don't know. I thought the ending was better than the rest of the film, but even it didn't, like, it was kind of like approaching pretty good, like, oh, you know, this just happened and here's how they're going to deal with that. And then they, when they're about to walk into the house and he tears up the letter, I'm kind of like, this is still weird, but weird home front World War II movie. I just, I don't know what to make of it, except I didn't like it. It doesn't work. None of it works. 
I was just thinking, if this is what you need to like fight for, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just, just... <laughs> let it go. <laughs> oh, Christian, do you want to run over the fun facts for us real quick? I guess <laughs> this actually had one win and it was best original story because that was a category back in the day. Wow. And it had four additional nominations, including picture director for Clarence Brown. Mickey Rooney got an actor and cinematography. Let's see. Uh, William Surion, the writer, actually wrote the screenplay before the book, but released the book before the film. He was originally uh, intended to direct, but left when the script appeared too long. And he was not happy about how this turned out. Well, <laughs> and the weirdest fact, I guess, that somebody put here is reportedly Louis B. Mayer's favorite film. Which I put in, I put question marks afterward because that seems very weird to me. I mean, like Ronald Reagan liking Friendly Persuasion, weird, but it makes sense. Louis B. Mayer like was involved with the film world on a high level. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that at all. But whatever. Like he had so many films under his belts. <sighs> that little Mickey Rooney movie, nobody ever gonna go see. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the human comedy before we go on? No. Robert, oh. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say Robert Mitchum has a very small role in this. It's like uncredited. And yeah, it's interesting seeing him so early on. I was going to say, I don't have any more thoughts, but there are two good Mickey Rooney movies out there. Um, Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. And uh, Babe Pig in the City. Oh, I forgot he's in that. Oh. Yeah. I don't forget to tell you, I got that from the library. Yes. <laughs> and he just plays a clown who like grumbles and makes weird noises the whole movie. He doesn't have any actual dialogue. You remember when he's evil in that Full House episode? Oh, yeah. He's the guy who's like, you're not leaving my shop. <laughs> you remember when he's like a uh, date Sophia in the Golden Girls? Yeah. Larceny and Old Lace. This guy's been in everything. Jeez. He really has. He really was. <laughs> my parents made, my parents made me watch well not my parents, it was my mom. He isn't like this series of weird horse movies that were on TV. <laughs> he like owned a ranch or whatever. And I had at least to watch a couple of them. And he's just the weird horse ranch owner. I don't remember anything but these except I'm like, oh, is that the guy from Night at the Museum? <laughs> I'll never forget, like, he was on one of the last episode of Jay Leno's show, and Jay Leno, like, pointed him out in the audience, and he's sitting there all old, and I'm pretty sure, like, a couple months later, he died. Thank God. <laughs> this has turned into the Mickey Rooney The Mickey album. Rooney, yeah, all right. Okay, but I remember I like, when, he di when he died, I was, like, following, like, old Hollywood Tumblr, kind of, and people were like, oh, my God, respect him. He just died. And everyone's like, he's just a little rat-faced man who raped everyone. <laughs> Fuck him. I found it. It was The Adventures of the Black Stallion. <laughs> oh, my God. Ran for three seasons. <gasps> it was a show. That was it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> Mickey Rooney, I, <laughs> I feel like we need a whole episode on this. No, I would kill myself. <laughs> You must remember this. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Zay, take us on to our next one. 
<laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Here we go. A movie we all agreed is terrible in which we serve. <sighs> Directed by no Noel Coward and David Lane. <sighs> a bunch of people get into a ship. The ship sinks. People are at home. We're like, oh no, what about our boys? Um yeah. They they toast a ship. They toast the ship. They toast a ship. They're all fucking dying and they're like, oh no, our ship. Whatever shall we do? I take it this like this takes place in England, yes. Yeah, it's a British movie. <laughs> I mean, but that, that is an accurate description of the movie, <laughs> as ridiculous as it sounds. Oh, this is terrible. This is I, bad. What was my review on Letterboxd? It was like, <laughs> it would be real sexy of you if you died for our country. That <laughs> that's was, what this that movie is. is. That's this movie in one sentence. I don't know. This Especially was... at the end. The end of the movie where they're just, it's basically talking straight to the audience. Like, you need to do this too. It, it's okay if you die for the country. It is an honor to die for us. And I'm like, chill the fuck out. Oh my God. And I mean, like, I go in, okay, it's, it's 1943. There's a movie called In Which We Serve. Obviously, it's going to be some pretty strong ass propaganda, right? Mm -hmm. But I wasn't expecting this. Like, a literal love letter to a hunk of metal is what this film is. And oh my God, like it starts and like they do all these flashbacks to understand like all these people's history with this boat, with this <laughs> ship. I, did I mention this is about a ship? Um, <laughs> oh my God, it's so bad. I mean, I just don't know. Like, it's not even like good cinematography either. There's, it's not even a good technical production there aren't good performances in it everybody is so bland even noel coward in the lead role extremely uh, bland i want to interject there i thought that celia johnson in her one scene where she's giving a toast and she automatically starts like staring off into the abyss and soliloquy that's a very good performance right there is that when she toasted the ship I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's why I didn't recognize it, because I was just, like, going off the walls because she was toasting the damn ship <laughs> on Christmas. Oh. Yeah. Christian, what do you think? Wow. Just put the spotlight on gold Christian here. <laughs> um, well, one of the many films that I don't give a star rating to on Letterboxd because I don't know how to in this case it's like it's about a ship okay um i really liked dunkirk this is dunkirk's grandpa uh that's about it kids i don't know it's not interesting i don't care about any of these people and they're on the little boat trying to survive and you're like are they dead yet this movie's taking forever <laughs> Um, when I think of Noel Coward, I think of Blythe Spirit a lot, and that's like a fun little comedy that he wrote. This is not fun at all. It's not comedic. And then you have David Lean, who we spoke about with Lawrence of Arabia. This is like his first credited role, or his first credited film. No, he was uncredited. Uncredited, okay. Yeah, I think he was uncredited, yeah. 
And yet Letterbox has him credited. Well, that's because he did do it, but he was uncredited otherwise. Yeah. At the time. But I mean, I don't know. There's no redeeming quality. It is one big, it's a 115 minute propaganda piece to join the Navy. And as Zay said, maybe be sexy and die for your country. Yeah, and I, the it. film the film tries to get into some like human emotion, human relations, and one, it doesn't feel earned. Two, it's extremely like cliche and what you would expect, and it just it doesn't like who are these people and why should I care about them? I wasn't like because they went off to war. Like I I didn't get anything in terms of emotion from this. It's weird seeing on like Letterbox we're like the only three who have a low rating that I'm friends with. And then everybody else is at least between three and a half to four and a half stars. Ooh, Ooh. I don't, I, okay. I'd like to go on the, the, the front saying, yeah, World War Two. people, people needed to go into that. I, I guess, I guess I'm definitely anti-war, but I feel like it's this, the rah, rah, rah shit that started with World War II in the movies that got us in trouble with, the, with like wars later on, especially in Hollywood movies, especially the fucking Vietnam War. Yeah. Where people are like, oh no, it's an honor to go and do this instead of like questioning like why you're going to go and do this. And I think this movie is like point blank, like blueprint of propaganda of just brainwashing people into like going into the military. Yeah. And right. Because, like, why would you want to watch something like this and say, you know what? This looks right for me. If I die, I'm dying for my king, queen, country, president, whatever, on this boat. Oh, interesting. Zay, do you want to go over the fun facts here? There are no fun facts. <laughs> They're not fun. <laughs> Just established facts. Two Oscar nominations. One for Best Picture and somehow for Best Original Screenplay. Wow. I, mm. uh, Noel Coward directed, produced, wrote, starred in, and helped compose the music for the film. He won an honorary Oscar for Outstanding Production Achievement as a result. Good for fucking him. Made with the assistance <laughs> of the Ministry of Information, largely in charge of... <laughs> largely in charge. Largely in charge of propaganda in the UK in World War II. Inspired by the HMS Kelly, which sunk in the Battle of Crete, features Richard Attenborough in his first role. I could not tell you who he was in this. Same. He was the Harry Styles of this movie. <laughs> credited director, Victoria. Ah, well, we already said it wasn't credited. Quit putting false things in the notes, guys. You know what? Blame my sources, whichever one it was for that. Whoops. It was named Best English Language Film of the Year by the National Board of Review. Mm -hmm. All right. Named Best Film by the New York Film Critics Circle. I think both of these things should be demolished just for this. And shown to the new Royal Navy recruits to give them an impression of what Navy life was like. Oh, no. <laughs> and at the end of the day, chaps, you can go home and kiss your sweet Bonnie and eat your tea and crumpets. <laughs> and somehow my accent was drifting into Australian there. So. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this was a highly acclaimed film, which just shows you how much people bought in to the propaganda. 
Oh God. Okay. Listen, 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 listen. <laughs> in 70 years, I'm going to be in my nineties. If people are talking about American sniper like this, <laughs> I'm going to slap some kids. Right. Hear me? If they put American sniper on the criterion collection, oh. if it's spine number 10,000, I will burn down someone. <laughs> Oh God. Okay. This is this, this, I see it's not as bad as American Sniper. American Sniper is just gross, but it's it's it, they belong in the same social group. Yeah. I don't know. I think for all the movies we've covered, I'm trying to think of like this might be my most hated. Like mm-hmm. I hate it out of Africa. I hated around the world. I don't know. At least See, the they only tried. reason the only reason I don't hate this movie as much as those, it's not even my number ten, is because every single one of those other movies made me sit through twice as long. <laughs> and they won Best Picture. So and they won Best that. Picture, yeah, so that may, added to my anger. That's true. Picture, my least favorite has been Wilson so far from nineteen. Oh yeah, I forgot about Wilson. Oh, oh, I yeah. didn't. I wasn't even there for that episode, but I watched it because <laughs> just listen to y'all's episode. Holy shit! Never again. <laughs> All right, Christian, are you ready to move on to our next one? I think That's you have our next me. one. Oh, it's I you. Okay. Next one, yes. My bad. Of course, I'm going to talk about Greer Garson. That's that's true. No, I just want to say before we get to this, okay. from this point, except for maybe one, the rest of these are decent. Yes. Are they? Hold on, hold on. I said except for one. Except for one. I would agree. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. This is the good part, people. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us. I know we lost all the in which we serve fans out there. <laughs> That's a big audience. <laughs> Okay, so for 1943, directed by Mervyn Leroy. Leroy? Leroy. I think it's Leroy. We have Madame Curie, uh, starring Greer Garson as the titular character. As um, basically, it's it's the biography of uh, Mary Curie, uh, more or less, which is just her as coming up as a scientist with her husband. Uh, Mr. Curie, I don't remember his name, uh, played by Walter Pigeon, then P- you're not, what? It's Pierre. Mr. Curie. <laughs> <laughs> um, reuniting themselves after last year's smash hit, Mrs. Maneuver, which Christian dislikes, and, you know, our, our friendship has never recovered <laughs> from that. Um, yeah, basically, it's just the basic... You know about Mary Curie. This is her life, and this is the thing she went through. These are the struggles she had to go through. Um, but then they don't mention that she's like dead at the end for some reason. Because, because what did she find? She found radiation. She, the, she was. Oh, people know. Of, shut up. I'm not good at summaries. I don't know why y'all insist I also do summaries. <laughs> <laughs> um, she finds radiation. She's yeah. I don't know what is there such a specific element? Is it uranium? Radium. 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 Yeah. Radium. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's Madame Curie. It's a decent movie. I like 
I don't typically like the biopics from the, I don't like biopics in general, um, but old Hollywood ones are also really bad at like um, turning their uh, subjects into saints. Hence Wilson. Yeah. And while I don't know anything you could really say that's bad about Mary Curie without turning into a weird like six episode miniseries, which I think I would watch that. Um, it's pretty good. It's decent. And it like tackles misogyny, which I'm surprised it did for 1943. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty cut and dry. Greer Garson's incredible, but that goes without saying. It's one of her five Oscar nominations in a row. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, you know, I didn't find it to be a great film, but I definitely enjoyed it. It was, and I was kind of expecting the same thing, like, you know, old Hollywood biopic, it's probably going to be pretty dull and pretty by the book. And in some ways, maybe so, but I did really like how it handled this subject matter. I mean, this is about, you know, a woman and her husband discovering a new element, and, you know, discovering an element science that may not always appeal to everybody, you know, to watch what that's going to look like. But I really like how it handles it. Um, I don't know what you all thought of the narration that was kind of going through, but I actually kind of enjoyed it. It, you know, it kind of filled us in a little bit on the more sciencey aspects of it without having to, you know, have us get that elsewhere. And yeah, I agree. Greer Garson is great here. You know, um, I, I kind of expected that going in and she lives up to it. I also thought Walter Pigeon was great here too, which I didn't expect going in. Um, Really enjoyed following their romance. And in the end, I'm not going to reveal what happens in the end, but the end I found really actually impactful because it really kind of built up this relationship between these two and does a really nice job of basically showing how they continuously accept failure and defeat and, you know, navigate all the barriers they face in trying to do this and then showing the joy of their success, but also the pressure that follows that. And so, yeah, good, really good, uh, you know, pretty good film. I enjoyed it. Um, definitely much better than I expected from a biopic for sure. Yeah, um, I watched this, I think maybe last week or so. Um, I was expecting it sort of just to be bored because biopics at this time, it's a hit or miss for me. I was very interested. I don't hate Mrs. Miniver, <laughs> not one of my faves. But these two are great in it. I thought Walter Pigeon is a daddy in this. True. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's very interesting because I don't really know a whole lot about Marie Curie except for like finding the radium and the subsequent events of her life after that. So this is, I don't know how much of this is a totally true film. I know her daughter had a lot of say in it. So hopefully it's a little bit factual. But no, I enjoyed it a lot, I will say. And the set of like the old building that they worked in for all of this was really nice. It's like dilapidated and stuff, but hey, it works because nobody really believed in them. And haha, look what happened. They ended up finding something that would kill a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I did, do like, well, yeah, go ahead. Um, I was like, when I was looking through some trivia, I forgot to write this in the notes, um, but to show like that a lot of like, uh, Leroy put some like, uh, style and so like some to make it like different than other biopics it's like the scene in which Pierre Curie proposes to Marie is one long continuous take it lasts for more than two and a half minutes 
And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. That's all I have for that. I also gotta say, it's always nice to see Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> but, but no, um, I, I, I do think- I was looking at the screen and I heard his voice and I'm like, oh, hey, there he is. <laughs> Um, I do think it's kind of nice in that I think sometimes, you know, we have all these big discoveries in science, but we, you know, oftentimes it's not very well known who those scientists were, unless you're talking like, you know, the big names like Isaac Newton at times or something along those lines. But like, it's kind of nice to see a film that does explore who they were as people, because I don't think that's something that is often considered. We think about their discoveries and how great they are or not great at times. Um, and don't often think about the people behind it. And so that's kind of nice as well. I mean, too, because she was a woman. Yeah, sure. exactly. In I what, mean, like the 1800s. Um, I, like, I don't think, well, we don't think about it like, because this movie isn't exactly a movie people still talk about, but we still talk about her. And I, th- I'd like to think that maybe this movie helped with like a canonization of her. Because I'm thinking of like recent films like, um, fuck. Silkwood? <laughs> not Silkwood, so not Silkwood. Uh, da, 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 much recent. 2015. Best Amy Picture Winehouse? <laughs> best Picture nominee, uh, Mathematicians. Oh, Theory of Everything? Oh. No! <laughs> Oh, hidden figures! Hidden figures! Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> hidden fences. <laughs> no, hidden figures. Like how no one knew about those women, mm-hmm. and now if I mean I'm terrible. My mem- you can see my memory is fucking horseshit. Catherine Johnson. But like, yeah, you know those names now because of mm-hmm. that movie. And like, sure, that movie may have not been the most accurate. Fucking Gavin and Costner. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Bazinga, um, <laughs> but it's we know those people now because of that, and I think movies like these help shape, especially because this movie came out less than ten years after she passed away. Right. Also, a fun fact: apparently, her notebooks still have um, radium all over them and are still under lock and key. That's Ooh. so cool, though. That is interesting. Yeah. And another fun fact, like her her daughters, like they died of that. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> like, fun or not, but hey. <laughs> no, you said cool fact, so that's it's different. Okay. Well, speaking of facts, Zay, do you want to run through those real quick? I sure could. Um seven Oscar nominations. Best picture. Um, actress for Greer Garson, hallowed be thy name. Actor Walter Pigeon, cinematography, art direction, sound, and score. It was the third of nine on-screen pairings between Garson and Pigeon. Based on a biography by uh, Mary and Pierre's daughter, Eve Curie. Mervyn Leroy replaced Albert Lewin as director as the latter was fired shortly before production began. Despite being more fact-based than most 30s slash 40s biopics, it is very fictionalized. For example, there is no mention of Curie's involvement in the liberation movement or Poland. Also the fact that it does not talk about her dying. (laughs) Um, And it was number 97 on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Cheers. 
I can get behind that. Same. Yeah. I believe that was our first movie that we all enjoyed. And so any more thoughts on that before? We Which is wild to... because any, like, a, if this was like a good year, this would be like at the bottom of our list. <laughs> We'd be like, it's That's good, true. but it's not that good. And here, I think it's like my number four. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> all right, Christian, I believe now you're next, correct? Yes, I am. There we go. All right, so we have finally, after all these false hopes, a comedy. <laughs> and it is The More the Merrier, directed by George Stevens. And it is another World War II on the home front type film. In this case, it details the housing shortage in World War II in Washington, D.C., where a lot of um, servicemen and women came over. They needed housing like as they had their like leave of absence. A lot of people opened up their homes. And in our case, we have a retired millionaire who's Benjamin Dingle, played by Charles Coburn. He's waiting for his hotel to be ready, and it's not ready. And in the meantime, he like sneaks into an apartment of Jean Arthur, who was in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. He's, she's also one of Brett's favorite actresses from old Hollywood. And they become reluctant roommates. And in the meantime, he also invites this other gentleman whose name is Joe Carter, played by Joel McCrea, to be a third in their platonic relationship. Wink, wink. JK, there's no sex in this movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is a, yeah, I would say it's like a lighthearted comedy. It's good. It's just their friendship. Um, a lot of mishaps, misadventures, misdirection. Of course, you know that Joel McCrea and Jean Arthur are going to fall for each other, except she's already engaged. Uh, Charles Coburn is very good in this, I will say. He's like the best part for me. But no, it's a very lighthearted film. I was happy that this was nominated because you need something after all these very high dramatic things. And this, I don't know if I said it was directed by George Stevens, who this is his last film before he actually went to go to World War II. Yeah. So yeah, the more the merrier. Discuss. Our return to George Stevens since our episode on Giant. This is better than Giant, I think. Um, yeah, it's a cute comedy. I don't, the problem is it's good. It's not great. So I don't have a lot to say about it. It's, it's fun. I had a good time watching it. If I knew that this was going to be one of the better ones, I probably would have saved it for like last maybe because I was just really, for whom the bell tolls and in which we serve were a double feature at the end of that. Ooh. <sighs> I, at least I saved Casablanca for the very end, but at the, I should have been thankful for the more the merrier when I had it. Um, but yeah, I thought both Jane Arthur and Charles Coburn were both great in this. I wasn't in love with Joel McRae and I wanted maybe someone different. I didn't see the chemistry really working as much with him, but I like that they took an aspect of World War II and made a comedy out of it. I like that. Um, and it wasn't super like, hey, it's fine. This is for our country. So, yeah. yeah it wasn't like a topic shoved in your face the whole yeah. time. Right. Yeah. It's more of a backdrop, you know, and a topic that, you know, I don't think is discussed very often about World War II, you know, the housing shortage and what that looked like. But, yeah, I agree. It's it's very charming. You know, I 
like Christian said, I think you just nailed on the head and saying that and watching all these propaganda films and long films and dull films and heavy films, it was a nice breath of fresh air um, to watch The More the Merrier. Um, I agree on Charles Coburn. This his performance here, and we'll get into this, you know, later on in another episode, but like his performance here makes supporting actor probably the most hard to decide category for me. I'll get to the other performance later. You will see. I don't think you'll be that upset about it. But he is great here. He's very funny. He is definitely like really likable. It's kind of interesting to see, you know, the different motivations of his characters and what's there and what's hidden for later on. And yeah, I love Jean Arthur. I just think she's just instantly charming in everything she does. Um, and this is, you know, this is no different here. And so I do agree with Zay. I, it's not like a great film for me. It's not like a laugh a minute type of comedy. You know, it's not extremely funny all the time or anything like that. But compared to everything else, it works really, really nicely. And so I was glad it was nominated. You know, I mean, it doesn't fit with everything else in that year, but thank goodness. Again, in another year, this would be like, hey, you should check this movie out too. But this one, it's like, oh, this is the third best, best picture nom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it should be like a best picture nom at all. Because normally they don't go for like these comedy sort of movies, but it's like, hey, we ran out of movies, I guess nominate this. Yeah, it definitely feels like just the studio comedy of the year. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a fun movie, so I'm not mad about it. Yeah. The whole scene, my favorite scene in this is when they're all arguing and about um, what happened last night and they're in the cab with that one guy sleeping and then he mm -hmm. exits and he's like going to the newspaper building. <laughs> <laughs> like some great wordplay there. I also love the, the end scene with all the old men singing with like Charles Coburn leading the oh, charge. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. But... Christian, do you want to run through our fun facts real quick? Yes. Um, so it has one Oscar win to its name for Charles Coburn for Supporting Actor. Additional nominations, five. Picture, director for George Stevens, Gene Arthur got an actress, original story, and screenplay. Because those, again, different times, categories were split there. Remade in 1966 as Walk, Don't Run, starring Cary Grant, Samantha Egger, and Jim Hutton. That'd be interesting. I think that Other was like one of his last. Cary Grant. One of his what? one of the Cary Grant's like very last movies oh and then he dies no no he retired <laughs> oh okay <laughs> yeah, he died in like the 80s um other titles considered were Washington Story full steam ahead oh I like that one. Oh, that <laughs> makes sense that's a it for y'all listening it's a quote in the movie uh come one come all and merry go round and it was George Stevens last picture at Columbia before he joined the army as chief of the combat photographic unit, which I'm pretty sure were the ones who've actually filmed a lot of the aerial fights in World War II that you see on older documentaries. Yeah. It's a trend you'll see with different directors and actors and other Hollywood folk during this time. So I also want to say that um, this is my second, I might have seen more that I just don't realize, but second film, and I don't know if they even made more, of Gene Arthur and Charles Coburn. There's another film that they made together called The Devil and Miss Jones, and you both should seek it out. Everybody should seek it out. It's very fun, and they have great chemistry in that as well. Yeah. 
Also, though I'm very, very happy that Jean Arthur got a nomination here, it upsets me that that is the only nomination she got because Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, she was incredible in that movie, so. Have you seen, like, her filmography? That This was at the very bottom of her career. I haven't seen much of her filmography. I just love her in everything I see her in. Like, her last, this, this is 1943. Her last film that she made was 1953. Interesting. And then she was retired, I, like... Yeah, I knew she was, you know, she was done in like the 50s, but interesting. You should watch The Talk of the Town. It's a very good one. Awesome. That's oh, yeah, the one with Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. It's Zay's favorite actor. I do like Cary Grant a lot. I mean, I don't think he's a good actor, but I like him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's my take. Awesome. All right, any further thoughts on the more the merrier before we move on? We are done with the war for now. <laughs> for now. <laughs> um, if you want a nice pick-me-up movie out of the 10, I think this is the best pick-me-up movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only one. <laughs> All right, well, our next film is kind of a unique one um, in that it only received a Best Picture nomination this year, and that is The Oxbow Incident. It's from director William A. Wellman um, and starring Henry Fonda in the lead role right before he went off to war. Um, And this is the story of a town and a posse that forms when they learn that a ranch owner has been murdered, um, apparently by three men. And so they form this posse together. Some, a lot of the town folks are like, Let's go get them. Let's hang them. Let's get this over with. And then a few are like, mm, I don't know. We should probably like investigate this a little further and you know, tread a little lightly. Um, but they do go out. Everybody goes out. Not everybody, but most do go out, even those who are not supportive of that, just to kind of be there um, to make sure it doesn't get too out of hand. And so they do find three men, and it basically turns into a conflict of whether they should go ahead and hang these men or if they should be taken back into town to um to be tried in court it is a i was kind of you know i i like some westerns some of them are obviously not very good this is a very good one um i think this is actually one of the more mature westerns i think i've seen it's actually handling some really interesting material in the way it discusses um you know capital punishments I think even like the toxic masculinity that comes with people who, you know, those men who have power and the power to do things like this and take advantage of it. Um, Henry Fonda, you know, a typical quiet performance here, but does have some fire in him in time to time. And it's a very short film. And I will say it's, it's not like many Westerns I've seen. It's not exceedingly physically violent. Um, there's not some big shootout at the end. In fact, the denouement is really kind of crushing um and mature in that way so i love this movie um it's definitely i would say the second best i mean we'll get into that but the second best nominate nominee from this year for me um so yeah definitely worth checking out and it's really short too so why not first of all brought out the vocabulary words there. i was gonna say Danu Ma. <laughs> <laughs> um but this movie um, I, I weirdly heard about it like ever since I got on Letterboxd. I don't know how, but it just kept coming up as like the one weird Western that's like really good that I should probably see at some point. 
and now I am watching it for this podcast. So here we are. Um, but I watched it, and it's weird how you're in like a certain period of time in your own life, and a movie from 1943 is like, hey, think about what's going on. <laughs> and you're just, and we're recording this for people who maybe will listening to it in the future. It is June of 2020, and we've had plenty of uh, uh, protests about how uh, police like to think that they are um, in charge of saying whether someone lives or dies. And I think that like the, the idea of the Western is like this one guy who he gets to decide who lives and who dies. And the, Oxford, the Oxbow incident is just like, hmm, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't. And I definitely agree with the whole capital punishment thing. It's definitely an anti-capital punishment film. Because um, I don't want to like reveal anything toward the end because this is one of those movies where it's short enough and also it'll take you on a nice ride through the story. But it makes you consider like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have these toxic masculine assholes just like deciding what's going to happen. So yeah, it was a very, very good watch. I enjoyed this movie a lot, which is nice to say, <laughs> maybe for the first time on this episode, <laughs> that this is the one that I genuinely really, really enjoyed. And for a Western too. For a Western. Oh, I yeah. can name like four Westerns now that aren't comedies <laughs> that I enjoy. <laughs> I said this when we talked about um, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, but the Westerns that I like don't have the whole, you know, cowboys versus killing you know native americans on the horses this literally takes place in one single location as they try to figure out what the heck are we going to do and it goes from there and i like those kind of things and yes it is short so it's not a whole lot of you don't have all this build up build up it's like all right we're going to get to the nitty-gritty of this and just get it over with we're going to think about this talk about this and let's decide what to do um, as I thought of it as like a precursor to what Henry Fonda would do in 12 Angry Men, mm. except this is 12 Angry Men on the Western Front. Uh-huh. Nice parallel. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, right? Because he's like, maybe we shouldn't do this. Let's, let's, let's think about this rationally. Let's talk. And everybody around him is like, no, we got to hang these guys. Let's just go on with it. Um, but no, it's a good, I evidently had watched it before, but I do not remember ever seeing this before. But there it was. Uh, yeah, Oxbow Incident. And it is, is it free anywhere? I don't think it is, but I feel like I it's- found it on, I found it on YouTube. That's yeah. right, it's on YouTube. Yep. Okay, yeah, so this is on YouTube. So definitely if you find it, give it a watch because it is good and it's, like, again, it's quick. Oh, and yeah. also last thing, Jane Darwell in this is very good. She's like, the Kathy yeah. Bates of, these are the Kathy Bates of Titanic in this. <laughs> She's like Marjorie Maine. She's always great. Right? And this is coming off of her win a few years back for Grace of Wrath. And so reuniting her with Henry. Yep. Yeah, like they said, it's very, you know, timely. You can definitely see the parallels between what's going on here and the police in the U.S. right now. And so good watch for that, too. Um, but like I said, it was only nominated for Best Picture, which is pretty rare. Um but in 1998, it was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. So um, definitely has that lasting impact. <clears throat> like I said, I, very rare. It is the last film to be nominated for Best Picture and no other awards. So 
Fonda regarded it as one of his favorites. Um, and after the film was completed, it was kept on the shelf for months because Fox executives were uncertain how to market the film with such a sobering theme. And after it was complete, like I said, Fonda did enlist in the Navy and he served there until 1946. So they want to show this, but they're like, you know what? A couple guys dying on a boat. I think that'll cheer everybody up. You know what? Much, <laughs> much better, you know? God. But yeah, that is the Oxbow incident. We obviously give it a ringing endorsement, so check it out. And if you want a double feature about um, capital punishment, uh, you should watch this and Serial Mom. Oh my God. <laughs> That movie is all about capital punishment. You have to say it. You have to say it. Pussy Willow's daddy. <laughs> Brett's like, I have no idea what they're talking about. I, no, I've, this is John Waters, correct? Yes. Yeah, you all said that was the next one I needed to watch. So here we go. All right. Any other thoughts before Christian takes us away on our next one? All right, on you. All right, Christian about to take you to church. <laughs> so this is uh, directed by Henry King, and it is the Song of Bernadette. And it is about Bernadette um, Lazara, who was born in New York City in 1948. Um, she was a child actress, and she became a prominent, well-known Broadway star having been in such shows as Sunday in the Park with George, Annie Get Your Gun, uh, Gypsy, and most recently as a replacement in Hello, Dolly. She's a gay icon. She's been on TV shows, a lot of movies. And this is uh, her great <sighs> story. So yes, this was the song of Bernadette. I was just like sitting here like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody just shut this off because they thought that sounded amazing and they're going to be so disappointed when they see what this actually is. I was like, oh, a child actress. That's weird. Why didn't they put that in the movie? <laughs> you just kept going. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, I forgot he was going to do this dumb bit. <laughs> oh, geez. All right, now to make you all really sad. <laughs> In reality, the Song of Bernadette is about um, Bernadette Sue, French last name, um, <laughs> who in the 1800s pretty much saw a vision of the Virgin Mary in a grotto in the town of Lourdes in France. And the film is pretty much people not believing her, a total investigation about this, a question of faith. Did this really happen? Is she having hallucinations? Did she really see the Blessed Lady? Um, yeah, who is Bernadette? Jennifer Jones is Bernadette, who is now a saint. And Lourdes is a very beautiful place that I someday want to go visit because the waters are supposed to be very healing there. Um, the Song of Bernadette is, like I said, a sort of question about faith. There's a whole spring that, what is it? Spring that sprung out of the grotto of the lady. I guess that's what you'd want to say. Um, and Zay's um, husband, Vincent Price, is in this looking like Adam Driver. Looking like a whole snack. That's what it's looking like. <laughs> um, but no, this is a very, I used to not like this movie. Just last year, I did not like this movie, and I do not know why. I don't really like Jennifer Jones in it. That's my own little qualm. But it is a good film. It's, it's not, for me, it's not too preachy. 
I maybe for you all, but I grew up with like the story of this. So this is like a very important story. A lot of girls always pick Bernadette as like their confirmation name because of her. Um, but yeah, it's it's decent. And it was, I guess, one of the more popular picks at the Oscars because it won four, mm -hmm. you know. So yeah, um, I open the floor. Amen. I was not raised Catholic. So I knew nothing about her. Um, uh, I've noticed that Catholic film, that Catholic faith-based films tend to be a lot better as I cannot name too many uh, Pentecostal films that are any good because I grew up on these like weird, like rapture exploitation films that my mom insisted I'd sit down and watch with her. Uh, mm -hmm. One of which was starring Mr. T. Um, the other one starred uh, Kirk Cameron. Oh, Left Behind. Left Behind. I yeah. watched all three of those and they scared Ooh. the shit out of me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was 10. Um, but, and then watching movies like this, I'm like, oh, this is a good faith-based film. Because I enjoy movies with religious themes in them um, due to my upbringing. Um, even though I do not consider myself a religious person anymore. However, I just thought this movie was just, it surprised me because I went in like, I know nothing about this. And I came out just loving it. Um, it came off as sort of like, while watching it, I was like, this is kind of like a horror film, but filmed as a drama. <laughs> because this poor girl is seeing shit and no one believes her. <laughs> and she's like low-key going hysterical, like, oh my God, am I like just seeing shit? Please, <laughs> just, I'm bathing myself in the mud of this because the Mother Mary told me to. Yeah, so I really enjoyed it. I, of course, it's a fictionalized um, telling of the story, um, but, it's interesting to have learned about this figure that I knew absolutely nothing about prior to watching this movie. And I find Vincent Price to be a snack and a half in this. Yeah, I, I was also not raised Catholic. And you know what, I guess, to your point, Christian, I didn't find it very preachy at all. You know, I, I found it more so just telling the story, this is who she was, and there might be some things behind that. But yeah, and like, you know, Zay said, really interested in this character. In fact, you know, I finished watching this and I pretty much just Googled her um, to read a little bit about, you know, the real life Bernadette. Um, I liked it. I think I liked it more for the different ideas in it than I did as a viewing experience, I guess. I think what got me was that I'm being completely honest, I don't even know that we need the last half hour after she leaves Lords or whatever that the the town name, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Because at that point, it's almost like, I don't know, it seems like in the beginning, the first like two hours of the movie, it's like, here's a story. It's got a little bit of biopic in it, but most of all, it's just this story about this occurrence. And then after that point, it's almost like it switches into biopic mode. And I'm like, okay, but if you're going to do that, then we need more Jennifer Jones in the first two hours, aside from her just going to these sites and seeing this woman. Because I felt like a lot of the film was not so much 
centered on Bernadette herself, but on everybody talking about her or talking to her. And so, and I can kind of see why that is, but for me and with Jennifer Jones winning the Oscar for this, I just need a little more, especially in those first two hours. I think that's maybe why I don't, I think that's maybe why I don't care for her that much because I don't know, watching this, she almost feels like almost a supporting character too. And that's kind of what I thought as well, you know? And so I, you know, I think Jennifer Jones is good in this movie. Um, And she was on a big streak here. She was in the middle of like, what, five nominations in a row. I think this started like five nominations in a row for her, I want to say. But um, it's not one where I was like, blown away by her performance either and so but overall i mean talking about you know these people refusing to believe this woman and um you know mistreating her and her family because of it and talking about those themes of faith and belief i did find that really interesting Mm -hmm. so now i'm looking up things that happened to bernadette here wow (laughs) It's like all, if you actually go to like Wikipedia, you can look up all the appearances because there were, I guess, 18 in all. The one scene that moved me the most, and I think I texted Zay this, is when they're like, well, what did she say to you? And she said, oh, she's the Virgin Mary. And everybody stops dead in their tracks. Like, <laughs> yeah. wait, what? The Immaculate Conception. <laughs> yeah, the Immaculate Conception. And they're like, wait, 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 say what now? <laughs> it's like, well, we don't know what you're looking at. Oh, well, she says the Immaculate Conception say what the fuck are you talking about kid <laughs> but no yeah um like i said i really want to visit lord someday because the waters are supposed to be really healing there and bernadette is now a saint mm-hmm. so there you go and it is a it is a very good looking film like it's a good technical craft mm-hmm. going on here too so that kind of explains part of the reason i got so many nominations and wins i think it looks so good too because it's just outside most yeah. of the films so you get the natural light mm-hmm. christian do you want to go over our fun facts real quick indeed the big winner of the night with four actress jennifer jones cinematography art direction both being black and white and score it got eight additional nominations for picture henry king for director supporting actor for charles bickford y'all need to read the story of bickford and jennifer jones let's just say they became lifelong friends when he died she tried to kill herself oh I mean, it was just like, it wasn't like he died accidentally. He was old. Um, (laughs) Supporting actress Gladys Cooper as the nun who's like sadistic and evil. And Revere for supporting actress who's the mother, screenplay, sound, and film editing. That's a lot. Based on a novel, which is in turn, of course, based on the real life events, turned into a play in 46. This one I found interesting. The casting of the lady... Uh, as in the Immaculate Conception, Virgin Mary, what have you, was controversial because Loretta Young, uh, who is an actress, really wanted this part. And Loretta Young, as I know from movie history, was a very devoutly religious woman. But the studio passed her over for Lynn Garnell, who was the quote-unquote sultry star of the day. And there was a lot of controversy in that too, including the fact, and I don't think a lot of people knew, but Linda Darnell playing Mary, she was also pregnant at this time. So they really, yes, they really had to cover her up and with the whole lighting situation too. Interesting. Um, So big scandal there. Uh, David O. Selznick, who was producer of such films like Gone with the Wind, Rebecca, ensured that his then girlfriend, Jennifer Jones, got the role of Bernadette. And as we know anything from our 1944 episode, they would continue their romance into Since You Went Away. 
and this is the first film telecast for ABC Sunday Night Movie, and at the time, it was the oldest film to be shown on that program. So, yeah. That's surprising. And like I said, Bernadette has won two Tony Awards, has been nominated for multiple <laughs> Tony Awards. She, she's still active on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to correct myself. This is the first of four consecutive nominations for Jennifer Jones. And like Chris said, we did talk about her in Since You Went Away, which I think I actually gave would have given her a win for. But yeah, she had a great run there as well. It was Greer Garson with the five, just to be... <laughs> Not quite on that level. Okay, Song of Bernadette. We've got two more films to go. Are we ready for our next one? I believe so. I guess so. All right. So, well, now, I will, for some people, this is a step down. For others like myself, it's fine. The next film we have, I'm introducing this one, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay, yep. yeah, that's what I thought. Is Watch on the Rhine, directed by Herman Sh Schumann and an uncredited Hal Moore, which I never actually knew that. And it is the story of a family, um, a German-born engineer, Kurt Muller, played by Paul Lucas, mm. and his wife, Sarah, played by Betty Davis, a.k.a. Bay, and their kids are coming back from Germany. They escape, pretty much escape. Um, and they're going to go stay with her family in Washington, D.C. And he was pretty much fighting the Nazis, fighting fascists, there's a whole blackmailing situation, yada, yada. I don't really know how to describe this film that well because it feels like there's a lot going on. One of the boarders at her parents' house is blackmailing them, I guess, because they fought off some Nazis and I guess that's bad. Kurt saved people. I don't know. Maybe I don't like this film after all. <laughs> that moment of reckoning. <laughs> Basically, it's about a family escaping Nazi Germany, but their troubles follow them. Boom. There. And Betty Davis is in this, and she's a supporting player, unfortunately. Go. I want to hear Zay's opinion first. Um, I watched this a month and a half ago. Maybe two months ago. I don't know. It was on TCM. And I was like, well, I might as well watch it, right? Little did I know. It's so memorable. I don't remember a damn thing about it. I've seen this movie three times and I can't even tell you a plot. <laughs> <laughs> um, did I write any notes on it? I don't think I even wrote notes on it. Um... <laughs> My first note. I truly don't remember this movie. <laughs> um but yeah the the betty davis you know as i love betty davis it was interesting to see her in that role that you know taking a step back letting the the, the husband character shine a little more <sighs> if that's called shining it's mm. not good it's not a good film Speaking I mean, it's not, it's not bad. It's not like truly bad like some of these other ones, but it's just totally unremarkable. I will say that this is, I guess, again, World War II on the home front, but it's that whole thing that we're fighting, fascism, the Nazis coming home to this 
centralized family in Washington, D.C. Of course, they're a very upper class, rich, white family, but you know. It's like Mrs. Miniver Light. Yeah. The stakes are a bit lower, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just going to start with Paul Lucas, who plays the lead character here, because he did win the Oscar for Best Actor here. And I'm like, Lord, why? I mean, we're going to get to another performance that was right there. Um, and so I don't know. He, he just, for, for one, he's just not very memorable in this. Like, I think he has one scene near the end that's pretty good, but the rest is just like typical doing his thing. Um, and it's not much. Um, and yeah, Betty Davis kind of pushed to the side. I will say I really liked Lucille Watson here. Um, she was definitely probably the redeeming quality for me, um, you know, compared to everything else in the film. But I don't, I think this film just told the wrong story because there's a scene where Paul Lucas's character is talking about all this stuff that he's done as an anti-fascist resistance fighter you know, breaking people out and taking on Nazis and whatnot. And I'm like, Shit, I want to watch that. Like that might be a decent movie, <laughs> but this is just extremely dull. Like, it's just, I don't even know that it's, I, you know, it's not hard to follow. It's just so dull and bland that we, we can't really remember it. It's like they're on vacation. They don't want to fight anymore. They kick their legs back and talk about it. Also the kids annoyed the hell out of me in this movie. Um, oh my god yeah not oh my god not even gonna get into that but i did find it interesting that this film the lead character is anti-fascist and thus would be considered a terrorist by donald trump so (laughs) we're getting timely but um that doesn't mean i would give a any type of endorsement to this movie so now brett when you mentioned uh someone more um who deserved the actor Oscar Moore um, coming up. Are we talking about Lassie Come Home? <laughs> Absolutely. Where, where Powell, the critically acclaimed actor, um, famously played Lassie. Well, Lassie was a girl. No, played by a boy dog. Oh, oh okay. How? You know what? I didn't reckon, I didn't realize that, but hell yeah. I would probably rather give that dog an Oscar than Paul Lucas here, so... I'm down for it. Yeah, very forgettable. I'm looking at, it's funny, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page and I'm just gonna spoil the ending, but he like has to go back to Germany or something to atone for his crimes or whatever. And to but go guess, break someone out. Like that would have been cool. In like literally in April, I guess was the last time TCM had shown this. So it was probably when Zay saw it, mm. but there was an afterwards that said, the studio has to imply that Paul Lucas's character gets killed because even though he murdered a Nazi, he can't get away with murder because of the code. So we're gonna have to kill him anyway. Weird. Oh, wow. That is odd. What a movie. Christian, you got our fun facts? If you want to call them fun. It, yeah, you know. We so Paul facts. Lucas, one actor for some reason or another, there is a picture nomination, a supporting actress for Lucille Watson nomination, and a screenplay adapted. Lillian Helmlin, Lillian, bleh, the Lillian Hellman play this was based on had an enjoyable and respectable run of 378 performances on Broadway. 
And then she went on to make some mayonnaise. Make what? She made mayonnaise. <laughs> Wait, what? No. <laughs> Her last name's Hellman. Hellman's mayonnaise. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I literally thought you said she went on to make semantics. <laughs> <laughs> all right wow <laughs> uh, let's see a troubled production where betty davis clashed with the director who had directed the play many times but never did film davis was also at odds with lucille watson because watson was a republican and davis was a democrat Ooh. first time in six years that betty was not nominated for an oscar i mean wow. it's like a supporting role in this and jack warner evidently paid 150 grand for the play's rights, feeling this would be a good patriotic film for the time. <laughs> because, you know, we all are harboring our own anti-fascist Nazis in our homes. <laughs> that was Walk on the Rhine. All right. You would yeah. also expect this movie to take place in Germany since the title is The Watch on the Rhine. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Once again, Wrong story being told here. What's the river in DC even called? The Ch like the Chesapeake Bay, the watch on the Chesapeake oh. Bay. <laughs> that would have been more clever. That's true. I'm sorry to our DC listeners. I forgot the name of your river. <laughs> oh, wow. We lost two audiences this episode. The Potomac. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Potomac. Okay, that's right. <laughs> I'm actually disappointed. I didn't know that. All right, are we ready for our best picture winner? Isn't that the theme to Born Free? No, remember at the beginning of the TV show, little Timmy is like, Lassie. I thought you were going for a wow. Born Free. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this is a movie that I've been wanting to talk about since we started this podcast for reasons that will become obvious. It is not Lassie, Lassie Comes Home. It is Casablanca, which is my favorite movie of all time and has been for probably seven years. Um, but this, this is a plot that's pretty in-depth, but um, really good ones. So basically, we learn that this is right off the bat. This is taking place during World War II and that it talks about how refugees are leaving Nazi Germany and other areas where they're facing oppression and persecution. Many of them are trying to get to Lisbon to get on a plane to the United States, but many are not able to get there um, because of wealth and other factors. And so they find themselves in Casablanca, where they basically wait until they can find a way to get on to Lisbon in the United States. Along the way, two German couriers are killed on a train, and on them they had two letters of transit, which basically grants anybody passes to the United States and cannot be overturned. These letters come into the hands of Rick Blaine, played by Humphrey Bogart, and it basically comes to play on his decisions of what to do with these letters. Things become complicated when a, um, a resistance fighter named Victor Laszlo arrives in Casablanca and brings with him his wife, who just so happens to be Ilsa Lund, Rick's former lover, played by Ingrid Bergman. 
whoa, now it's getting crazy. Um, so, you know, Rick is kind of torn because Victor would like to have these letters of transit to escape from the Vichy French police, Vichy French police who are controlling Casablanca, colonizing it, and um, the German General Strausser who is there as well, or Major Strausser. Rick isn't sure if he wants to give them because he is going off with his long lost love. And it becomes basically a decision of his that do I give them to him? Do I take them and use them for myself? Do I try to sell them? Do I try to win Elsa back and go on with her? It all kind of comes together in a way that is really fascinating because there is so much going on in this movie, but it all fits together so nicely. I think it's what, definitely one of the best screenplays ever written not just because there are so many iconic quotes from this film, but because of the way the plot moves and works. And it's not one that is confusing, but does demand your attention as a viewer, I think, at all times, or you might miss something. And so great performances all around. Humphrey Bogart is the one who was right there when they gave it to Paul Lucas. I don't think this is Bogart's best performance. Um, in fact, I think I've put it like third. But... He is iconic here, and he does a great job, especially compared to the rest of that lineup. The other two are In a Lonely Place and Treasure This Year, Madre. So, just so Christian knows. Um, but Ingrid Bergman's also great here. The one who I think, you know, should challenge Charles Coburn is Claude Rains, who plays um, the Captain Louis Renal, who is the um, beachy French captain there in Casablanca and he pretty much rides with the waves and appeals to the Germans but is also kind of a friend figure to Rick kind of an interesting character but Claude Rains plays it unbelievably he might actually be my favorite performance in the whole film if I'm honest so I love it we'll get into it more um, but I want to hear y'all's thoughts of course it's so good. It's still so good. It's to me the best, best picture winner ever, you all. Like, it's that good. Um, it's exciting. It has a great love story. It has a great backstory to the love story. Great pacing. Beautiful imagery. I mean, the final plane sequence is obviously very iconic. Um, Bogart's great in it. Bergman, Claude Rains. Uh, who else is in this? Paul Henry, um, Sydney Greenstreet in the brief role. Peter Laurie. Uh, Peter Laurie in his brief role. Yeah. Um, uh, Paul Dooley, I think his name is, as Sam. Dooley Wilson. Dooley, Dooley Wilson, yes. Dooley Wilson as Sam in a somewhat of a brief role. Um, iconic song, of course, which I just discovered was not written for this, so I'm crying. But yeah, no, it is so great everybody and it's one that if you have if you need like a foothold into classic hollywood i think we said something like this in the wizard of oz and even sunset boulevard this is where you start yes this is one of those very beginning pictures that everybody will and hopefully should love first note 1950 that was a good episode i was on yes <laughs> good consistent episode very good episode secondly i don't want y'all to hate me for this but I rewatched Casablanca just today. I just don't think it holds up. Like I, I'm interested to see if you're gonna take this back, if you're just gonna keep going with it. I'm just gonna. Well, just think about like, <laughs> why are they even at Casablanca? You know, 
What is Casablanca? It's a town in Morocco. How do they how do they know each other like this? What is so great about Rick that everyone's like giving him so much respect? I mean, is this an open discussion? I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Just waiting. No, I I love this movie. I as much as I enjoy being the contrarian to the canon, um, it is a very great film. Are you wait? Are you lying to us now? Who knows what's <laughs> happening? <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> and no, it's just very iconic. And then you know, you watch those films where you're like, "Oh, that's the scene where everyone talks about." It's okay. It doesn't hit like as much as you'd think it would. But when you watch Casablanca, you're like, "Oh, holy shit! That really does hit as good as it does." Like that's the G spot right there. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman, you just, uh, just that little note that like um, Ingrid Bergman was not told who she was going to like end up in the end so that it would just be like, she has to focus on either or and just like, you don't know. And like, she clearly loves both men, but you know, she's like, Rick was like the love of her life. Yeah. The other guy's just fine. He, he, was, he was a good second place, but- He's respectable. She wants the one who wasn't captured by the Nazis. Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, I do genuinely love this movie. I mean, you better. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like Christian said, like introduction to old Hollywood, great place to start. And I think that's part of the reason I love it so much is because this is pretty much where I started. Um, and so I, when I first watched it, it wasn't my favorite. It took a few more years and a rewatch, but you know, it represents the best of what could have come from that period, at least one of the best. And I think about like, there's just oftentimes I have, you know, this favorite movie and I just have this well-defined favorite scene. This one, I can't choose. There are multiple, you know, there's a scene where Rick and Ilsa first see each other in his, in his um, cafe bar. And then there's a scene, you know, um, at the end where they are, you know, his Rick's big monologue. Then there's a scene with the anthem where they're drowning out the, you know, Third Reich anthem with the Free French anthem. It's just, it's one after another, one line of dialogue after another that is just hits perfectly and is brilliant. I think the scene that got to me this time was um, it was between Elsa when she first sees Sam again and she goes up to him and it's just how beautiful she looks and she's like, you know who I am. We've hung out before Sam. And then she goes the whole like, play it, play as time goes by. Yes. Then of course she lies and says she'll hum. So when she doesn't hum, she da die da dee. Not humming. Good point. Play it again, Sam. Where did that even come from? Now I don't know. sound close to play it again. I don't know. I've wondered that too. This does bring up a good discussion though, because I want to ask, and it can be an iconic one or just a, you know, a low key one, favorite quote from the movie. I got to hear what y'all's pick is. Uh, I think it's like, I'm, mine is, it's not really one of the iconic ones that you'll see on AFI, which we'll talk about here probably, but it's, I'm shocked, shocked to see there's gambling in this. Here's your winning set. Oh, thank you. That's hilarious. 
the one that got me was um are you sure sure um this place is honest i don't know the exact one it was like are you sure this place is honest honest as the day is long sir <laughs> which is also I mean, a great scene <laughs> yeah i think my favorite is uh the one from claude rains to rick as i expected your rank sentimentalist because that just encapsulates rick's character but if i was choosing an iconic one we'll always have paris i love how just the movie is there's so much going on but at heart it's about them reclaiming those good memories from that time even though mm -hmm. they had gone sour so i like how he's pretty realistic in this too and the fact that he knows they can really never be together yeah you know like that's the saddest thing because he has a chance to be like fuck your husband let's just go and run off let's go back to america but at the same time yep. he's like i gotta think about this here yeah it's like she's already married <laughs> Yeah, and it's one of the better, you know, parallels to America at this time with Rick being this isolationist. I stick my neck out for nobody, eventually deciding that, no, I need to get involved and do the right thing. And so, interesting way to take that, I guess, to interpret it. And I think the cinematography is really underrated, too. You know, we talk about this film and often you hear the screenplay, the acting. It's a really well-made film really good looking black and white cinematography and whatnot and it's great i could fawn over it for days so this like the wizard of oz is one that if it's on tcm i like to watch it yeah i was thinking today that this and wizard of oz are like one of the very few films where i would be willing to watch it on a saturday and then watch it again that next sunday just for example like two days in a row, I could do it. I don't normally like that with movies, but those two I could. How many of us have seen it in a theater? I also have. Nice, oh, we all, all have three of us, one. amazing. <laughs> nice try, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So this was directed by Michael Curtiz, um, who did win an Oscar for this, one of its three Oscars, the other two being Best Picture, Best Screenplay. It was also nominated Best Actor for Humphrey Bogart, Supporting Actor for Claude Rains, Cinematography, Film Editing, and Score, all for black and white film. Um, and yeah, Igrid Bergman was not nominated for this, but for, for whom the bell tolls. Give me a break. Um, a lot of facts here, obviously, for a movie like this. But Jack Warner accepted the Best Picture Oscar, even though producer Halby Wallace was the real winner. Wallace left Warner soon after that fact. And Christian, I think you mentioned this is the very first award they gave out. And I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty okay. sure because they go from Jack Benny's monologue to, hey, let's announce Best Picture. And then, okay, time for the supporting stuff. Hmm. All right. Uh, many of the actors playing Nazis were, in fact, German or German Jews who escaped from Nazi Germany. Many extras had tears in their eyes during the, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Marseille sequence. Um, Bitch, me too. <laughs> yeah has been threatened to be remade many times <laughs> keyword threatened <laughs> oh no including this, one, this, one, this one's for zay i put this one for you oh man. no including well... madonna and ashton kutcher in modern day iraq oh no i <sighs> 
I am going to have a panic attack thinking about that. And also with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. Wow. Thank <laughs> God that didn't happen. In the 1980s, the script was sent out to studios under its original title, Everybody Comes to Rick. Many students <laughs> like it as it was outdated or lacked sex. Interesting there as well. Um, I think there's some sex in that title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bye. Oh, my God. <laughs> the role of Sam, played by Dooley Wilson, was actually originally intended for a woman, including Hazel Scott, Lena Horne, and Ella Fitzgerald. Um, so really popular black hmm. performers at that time as well. I feel if they put Lena Horne in that, though, they would try so hard to push a romance there, too. Probably so. Yeah, I bet you're right. Um, it did use forced perspective for the famous airplane scene as filming as airports was not allowed during World War II. To maximize profits from foreign distributors, other villains in this film are Italians because of their allyship with Nazi Germany. And David O. Selznick loaned Bergman to WB just in case Sweden joined Nazi Germany and her career would be tainted. Oh, them Swedes. Wow. <laughs> We often like to go over the AFI 100 years lists. Oh my God, though. Look at all of these. Look at all these. All right. Uh, it was the number two movie in 1998. It was moved to number three in 2007. Ugh. Should be number one. Or the Godfather. <laughs> the Godfather. AFI's 100 Years, 100 Thrills, number 37. 100 Passions, number one, because of course... 100 Heroes and Villains, Rick Blaine was the number four hero. As Time Goes By was the number two song, despite not being written for the movie. That hurt so much today. That it's list rough. is very weird. If you ever look through that list, half the songs are just like their usage in the film. Oh. Not that they're like original. It's weird. Interesting. Hmm. AFI's 100 Years, 100 Cheers at number 32. All right, and we've got six, six movie quotes on their the 100 on movie quotes list. list. The most on that list. I'm going to start from the bottom. Number 67, of all the gin joints and all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. Which is in the Golden Girls. <laughs> There's the reference. Number 43, we'll always have Paris. Should be higher. Number 32, round up the usual suspects. Interesting choice there. Yeah. Number 28, play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. Often misquoted, as I mentioned. Number 20, Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, which closes the film. And number five, which actually seems a little bit, like if you can have a Casablanca clue, I would expect top three. But number five is, here's looking at you, kid. So many. So many I that aren't even on this list. There should have been a Casablanca too, where Rick explores his bisexuality because <laughs> i think there's a lot of homoerotic tones in that that final line i mean Could louis be. already in and of in and of himself seems you know hand down <laughs> <laughs> i mean maybe him and sam too there's a point where sam says oh let's God. get drunk and so <laughs> but yeah what happens in Paris and Casablanca stays in Paris and Casablanca. But yes, Casablanca. Um, amazing film. Really, you should watch it. It is 
a great watch, one that definitely demands your attention, but is also easy to follow, I think, and it's just wonderful. And, just if wonderful. You have, and if you have HBO Max, it is on there. Amazing. And it's not racist. Yes, there's no problem with it. <laughs> yes, yes, uh-huh. For the most part. Yeah. yeah. All right. Any other thoughts on Casablanca? Or are we going to move on to our ranking of the nominees? I'm ready to rank. All right. We do have something new here. Um, Christian, do you want to introduce what Toby was able to do for us? Yes. So I was very interested in doing this, but I got Toby, who um, you all know from our Christmas episode and our 1991 episode. He went ahead and took our rankings for all 10, figured them up. Um, as I thought he was going to do preferential treatment, but he figured them in terms of points, which I guess is the same thing. I don't know. He's very mathematician about all this. But we have our, from us three, our combined ranking of all 10 of these films. And what came in 10th place, what came in 6th, and what came in 1st. Nice. And so on and so forth. So that'll be interesting to hear. And let's, let's present that after we do our own personals. Definitely. Definitely. All right. So yeah, we have 10 nominees this year. Zay, let's have you go up, starting with number 10. For number 10, it is For Whom the Bell Tolls. How dare it make me sit through three hours of shit. That's the only reason it's below number nine in which we serve. Number eight, we have the human comedy. Seven, heaven can wait. Six, watch on the Rhine. It's disappointing that we're at six and it's watch on the Rhine. Five, the more the merrier. Four, Madame Curie. Three, the Oxbow Incident. Two, Son of Bernadette. And one, Casablanca. Very nice. Remember, you can't spell Casablanca without Lassie come home. (laughs) All right, Christian, what do you got? Well, I'm pretty sure our next episode will know what Zay's number one of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Which, incidentally, I I do have Lassie come home from the library. So uh, my number 10 is for the boat movie in which we serve. Number nine, the cave movie, (laughs) Bell Tolls. Number eight, the Mickey Rooney is not in blackface for one's movie, the human comedy. Number seven, I forgot about this movie, Heaven Can Wait. Number six, I don't even remember the plot of it, Watch on the Rhine. Number five, The Song of Bernadette, getting progressively better here. Number four, Madame Curie. Number three, The More the Merrier. Number two, The Oxbow Incident. And number one, of course, Casablanca. All right. Number 10, I have In Which We Serve. Number nine, I have Watch on the Rhine. I definitely dislike that one more than you did. (laughs) Number eight, I have For Whom the Bell Tolls. Number seven, The Human Comedy. Number six, Kevin, Heaven Can Wait. You see, Kevin can can wait. I said, Kevin can wait. (laughs) The Home Alone sequel. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the four working titles, Kevin Can Wait. (laughs) No, Kevin Can Wait. It was Kevin James's last TV show on CBS. Was oh, it really? Oh, that's, that's no where it's way. coming from. Okay. Oh, I hate that. I like the Home Alone sequel better. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. Number five, again, getting good here. I have the song of Bernadette. Number four, Madame Curie. Number three, I have the more the merrier. Number two, the Oxbow incident. And number one, what else? Casablanca. I just want to say all three of us had, although in different order, the same five films in our top five. So Yeah, because it's such a fucking drop. <laughs> I truly really cannot even like, if someone was like, should I watch this? I would say no for those <laughs> bottom five. Could you imagine if Casablanca didn't win Best Picture? I mean, it probably would have been Song of Bernadette, which is not a bad Best Picture winner, but yeah. Casablanca in a lineup it, like this. It would have been, it would have gone down in history as like, how green is my valley? Like, oh, that beat that movie? Yeah. Which, how green is my valley? I don't think it's a bad motion picture, but it's no Citizen Kane. There you go. So I think history treated this win very well. Definitely. All right, Christian, would you like to read off our combined ranking? Yes. Okay. So without further ado, our combined ranking of all three of us, this three-way of us, these three people having a three-way of movie. Three-way. Number 10, in which we serve. It's a boat. Number nine, for whom the bell tolls, it tolled not for thee. Number eight, the human comedy. Do we even remember it? Number seven, watch on the Rhine. Number six, Heaven Can Wait, which I'm actually kind of surprised it is very high. Number five, uh, yeah, I'm blaming you. Number five, The Song of Bernadette. Number four, Madame Curie. Number three, The More the Merrier. Our runner-up would have been The Oxbow Incident with its one nomination, which is still kind of surprising. And of course, the number one, of course, Casablanca. The one, the only, the best. Yep. Kind of curious as to what have won had you put my original ranking in. Oh, Zay, yeah. I forgot about that. Or decides to scare me whilst I'm at work, <laughs> sending <laughs> in their rankings and having Casablanca at a crisp number seven. Oh. <laughs> I would have been so angry if that knocked, knocked out a top spot. Not but I made it. sure to still have for whom the bell tolls and in which we no, in which we serve was like number four. For whom the oh, bell no. tolls was at the bottom. <laughs> oh, that would have been awful. But to make matters worse, I believe the list. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not much disagreement between the three of us of what should have won best picture. And for the first time in a while, I believe, we wow. can finally say the Oscars got it right. Ding, Amazing. Ding, 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 ding. This time. This time. It's a rare 0.5%. <laughs> but like always, even though we did 10 films this time, we're not done yet. And so in our next episode, we will cover some more films from 1943. We Which got is a struggle. Which, which is a struggle. It was a struggle finding films, but surely some of these are a lot better than some of the stuff we had to watch here. Um, so be sure to turn into that. Figure out if any of us has something that might knock off Casablanca from the top, such as Lassie Comes Home. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to I preface right now. First of all, I'm not re-watching Lassie Come Home for this. <laughs> Secondly, it's mostly a joke because that movie is just Okay. <laughs> 
I don't want to go on the record to say that this is like the babe pig in the city for me because that's babe pig in the city. Good to know. But yes, tune in next time. We'll go over our um, personal nominations and wins, which we always enjoy doing and see what we get there. And so Zay, thanks for joining us again. Look forward to having you on next time as well. Any final thoughts from you? Um, thank you for having me. I think you should start paying me to watch these god-awful movies. Um, but yeah, thank you for having me. I like to roast these shitty <laughs> movies, but also telling people which good ones they should see. I really hope we made it obvious which are which. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Do you have anything to promote? Not particularly. What the hell are we doing? <laughs> There's nothing to do. Um Nothing find... on Facebook shows? No, I've retired those for now. They're oh. very exhausting. Online drag is hell, kids. Um, <sighs> but to make things serious and nice, um, the Black Lives Matter movement is very important. And you should seek out information and charities and donate your time and money where you can. And do the research Absolutely. on your own. Leave your Black friends alone. Yes. Absolutely. Christian, any final thoughts from you? I'm ready to move on. <laughs> from this podcast? <laughs> Look, 1940, it's weird. 1943, my top 10 that I have currently right now, a majority of them are from this lineup that we did. So I'm trying to find some oh boy. to get into my top 10. Wow. I'm, I'm depending on one of Brett's picks and one that we had for a Twitter poll. Okay. Depending on those. And Lassie, of course. All right. Well, yes, once again, um, thanks for listening. Uh, as always, Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe, or wherever you listen. Um, or pretty much everywhere you can find your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and at our website, guildedfilms.com. Thanks again to all of you who have been listening and for participating in those Twitter polls as well. Um, those always help with deciding which films we want to watch, even when they end in a tie. Thank you so. to all of my Twitter followers who helped that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Some foreshadowing there. Um, our theme music was composed by Joshua Arnoldi. And yeah, thanks again for listening and we will touch base next time. <laughs>